Live.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. The Bob France Authority. Good morning to you, and thank you for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock as we get started on this sixth morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. I pause a little bit just to make sure that we say that date clearly, because it's a date none of us should ever forget. June 6th. 2019 marks exactly 75 years since the world was saved. I say that without an ounce of hyperbole. American and other allied boys, and they were boys. The vast majority of majority of them were under 21 years old. American boys and other allied boys saved the world, quite literally, 75 years ago. From a future you and I can't even possibly imagine had they not had the courage to liberate Europe, had they not had the courage to go into battle against tyranny, against evil, against some of the worst evil that the entire history of man had ever known, had they not had the courage And the wherewithal, the ability, the skill, the talent, the brains, the initiative to storm those beaches and to liberate France on the way toward Berlin and and ending the Nazi threat, I, I, I cannot fathom. You don't want to fathom the future that would have been carved out for this world. They literally saved the world. I emphasized that this morning on the 75th anniversary of D-Day, knowing full well that ceremonies have been held. Perhaps you were listening this morning during Hugh Hewitt. He carried live uh, President Trump's speech, um, along with French President uh, Emmanuel Macron, as well as other world leaders who were there, as well as World War II veterans, as well as D-Day veterans, the eyes of the world were on Normandy to this morning and uh, in this afternoon, of course, European time. 
and listening to the president, you heard a little bit of that speech. Perhaps you heard most of it as uh, as I did listening to Hugh Hewitt this morning. And you you cannot help but stop and consider several things. Number one, what this world would have looked like had they not been successful. And number two, what it took for them to be successful. We talk all the time. I mean, really, literally, not just on this program, but off the air as well, many of us anyway, and we try to imagine, but we can't imagine um, what it was like being in those landing crafts, knowing that they were surging forward into machine guns, machine gun fire, into mortar fire, into what had to have felt like almost certain death. We talk all the time about the courage that it took for these boys. And that's what they were. These were our boys. These were not just soldiers. I spoke to the uh, audience at the Spring Freedom Banquet put on by the um, Ohio Christian Alliance last month. I was technically not supposed to give a speech. I was just the MC, and I was there to move the evening along. But I couldn't help after listening to some of the presentations of the speakers uh, from people like Bill Federer, who is going to join me on the program this morning, listening to people like Congressman Bill Johnson. I was so moved by the presentations they gave and the historical lessons they taught about uh, D-Day in particular, World War II in general, uh, but D-Day in particular, I was just so moved by it, and and I kind of had to give a little bit of bit of a a speech and 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 trying to uh, you know move the evening along and work toward, of course, our donation uh, contribution part of the evening as we try to raise funds to have the D-Day prayer authored by and read to the world, to at least to the nation by President Roosevelt at the time. Um, I, I had to comment on this. What I'm about to say to you. And that is to remind everybody that these were our boys. These were our sons. These were everyday working Americans. Some of them, you know, barely adults at age 18, 19, 20. Maybe some of them working in farm in the fields on farms, working in factories, working in shops, practicing trades. Maybe some of them going to school. Whatever the case might be, these were these were boys. We tend to we tend to and I apologize for the redundancy if you've ever heard me discuss this before, but it's very important to me. We tend to view soldiers, particularly of years gone by, soldiers and sailors and airmen and marines, we tend to view them as faceless and nameless and soldiers. This is what they do. They fight wars. They battle. That's what they're born for. That's what they are. And sometimes soldiers die, and we respect it, and we're saddened by it, but we just think of them as soldiers dying. And sometimes we see them as nameless and as faceless, especially in old black and white photographs, as the little green plastic army men that we played with when we were kids. You remember army men? Remember lining them up on your sidewalk on either side of the crack of each uh, of the pad of sidewalks and then moving them against one another? I, I did it as a kid. Everybody I know played with army men as a kid. And what's an army man? He's a guy who's made for the army. That's who he is. That's what he does. Well, nobody's born an army man. 
these boys were born, born to moms and dads as sons, as future fathers, as nephews, and then, as I say, as teachers, salesmen, shop workers, field workers. These were people who were born just, just to, to live their lives. They were drafted. Or they felt the calling to go become little green army guys. To become nameless, faceless pieces of a, of a machine that was necessary to save the world. And I can't get that out of my head. I can't, whenever I watch any documentaries on D-Day, when I listen to speeches like the one the president gave today talking about the heroes of D-Day, I can't stop thinking about who they were and what they felt like as they were on those boats, on those landing crafts, as they were trudging through the wet sand with destruction all around them. A lot of this brought to us firsthand by some of the most amazing movie making in the history of, of, of the genre through Saving Private Ryan. A lot of that has to do with it, and it's sad to say, you know, we're looking at a, at a, a recreation of history in Hollywood terms, but it is history. And when you listen to and you talk to and you've heard ever since uh, Saving Private Ryan came out, and I want to say 1999, maybe somewhere in that neighborhood, when you hear and listen to D-Day veterans who saw that movie break up, and some of them had to leave the theater because it brought it all back because it was so realistic, it was so authentic, it was so what happened. And I'm reminded of the fact that these were our boys. These were not just faceless, nameless army men. These were human beings who were told... It was after uh, Japan bombed Pearl Harbor. Perhaps it was after the latest advance by Hitler and the Nazis. And when they, when they took over uh, France and the threat became as real as it could ever get, that they were going to take over the whole of Europe. And then who knows far beyond that. But these were our boys. And while we talk about our boys and our courage... And bear with me as I just kind of kind of riff here. Um, I, I'm also just amazed when I read and study my history. And I've read stories about the battles of World War II, and I've read books on the subject, and I've talked in, and, excuse me, I've read uh, uh, books and, and, and listened to documentarians recounting, and yes, actual D-Day veterans recounting the battle on the beaches um, about this that courage was the first factor that, that, that led to our victories, but it wasn't the only. As I said, the brains, the strategy, the wherewithal, the know-how to attack and to design a battle plan that would be successful in taking the beaches, securing those areas, and then advancing in deep into you know german held occupied french territory um it's not just full steam ahead let's go whoever fires fastest wins there was a strategy there was a skill there was there was incredible 
talent, for lack of a better word, uh, that was on display when the world was saved, starting on June 6, 1944. And I think we need to recognize all of that as well. Courage is perhaps the key factor, but not the only factor. I just wanted to talk this morning with you, and I wanted to share some of these things. I know you've got some thoughts, too. I was very moved by the President of the United States speaking uh, at Normandy today. It was a wonderful ceremony. It truly did pay tribute and honor to the fallen, those who rest in the fields there beneath those crosses and beneath those stars of David uh, in, uh, in Normandy. It, it just it deserves on this 75th anniversary all of the, the the time that we can give it. Say a little prayer if that's what you have time for, or if you have a program like mine and an opportunity, perhaps you say a little bit more, a little bit more than a prayer and a promise and a pledge to the loved ones, to the descendants of the D-Day veterans, as well as to their spirits, and hope that they're looking down at a world that they that recognizes their sacrifice and recognizes they did nothing less than save the world. That cannot be overstated. They saved the world just as assuredly as if there had been an invasion from outer space. Something was going to destroy our civilization as we've ever known it. And we had to fight back to stop it. And we did and we won. And I want, the, as I say, their descendants, and I want their spirits to know that we will never, ever, not just on the 75th anniversary, but we'll feel the same way on the 76th and the 176th and the 200th anniversary of, the, of this world going forward. We will always remember that they did exactly that. They saved the world. All right, we're going to talk to Congressman Jim Jordan. We'll get his retrospective. On D-Day, 75 years on, coming up here at 9.35, we will talk to American historian, one of the very best to ever do it, Bill Federer. He's an expert on uh, D-Day in particular. I'm going to talk about the role of faith in uh, in, in the securing of victory um, upon this incredible endeavor. We're going to talk about the role of prayer and the invocation of God from both our commander-in-chief, FDR, and the man commanding the forces, Dwight D. Eisenhower. We're going to talk about that with Bill Federer as well. And we've got some other very important stories and news to discuss with you as well this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. The Bob France Authority right back after this on AM 1420, The Answer. 900 925 on this... Thursday, the sixth morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord 2019, making this a 75th anniversary commemoration of the D-Day landings uh, in Normandy, France. And uh, again, I was discussing before the the wonderful speech that the president gave on this uh, celebration, this commemoration of the uh, liberation of Europe. He uh, he was he was terrific. He was presidential. He was uh, appropriate. He was proper and. He reached out to French leadership, including Emmanuel Macron, who has not necessarily been the most um, uh, the most um, cooperative with him, with the President of the United States. We all know that there are a few issues between the two countries and between, really, among several countries, particularly as it pertained to the climate change, the uh, Paris uh, Climate Accords that the President withdrew from. 
But all of those, uh, you know, problems and disagreements and policy disputes and so on and so forth were all cast uh, to the winds today as um, it was one unified event. And uh, that's exactly what we were hoping to see. Here's just a very, very small taste of the President of the United States at Normandy this morning. It's an amazing place, and it's somewhere when you think of those places of great importance, this is certainly one of the top. In the eyes of some, it's the top because of what it meant in terms of the turnaround of a very, very bad situation. That was the big turn. That was obviously a bit of the press conference as he spoke with uh, French uh, President uh, Macron as well to the media. That was, that was obviously not part of his speech. I'll try to give you some of his speech as the uh, morning goes on. But the other thing I'm going to do for you, um, there's two speeches that I want you to hear, of course, from the actual time from 75 years ago. Now, not not at this moment, because again we have Congressman Jordan coming on, so it'll be it'll be before the top of the hour. But um, when we talked about this last month, leading up to the Ohio Christian Alliance Spring Freedom Banquet, we actually uh, discussed this, and I played this for you on the National Day of Prayer. This is, of course, the prayer that was offered to the nation by the Commander in Chief FDR on the eve of D Day. And um, it, it's it's now kind of been called the D-Day Memorial Prayer. Uh, it is what we are endeavoring to add and have inscribed uh, on the uh, World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This is something that has been legislated and has been signed into law by President Obama, believe it or not, back in 2014. He signed into law uh, the right for the prayer to be inscribed. Uh, at the World War II Memorial, and now it's just a matter of finding the funds to get it done. And that's why we had the Spring Freedom Banquet. We were uh, launching a fundraising campaign, of course, for that. And um, that prayer was so unbelievably important. It, it, I think it soothed the nation. It gave the nation hope. It gave the family of those boys who were going over there to become the most courageous men, maybe in American history, maybe in world history. It gave them a belief that what they were doing was right. It gave them a belief that they would be watched over by God. And it um, it helped unify a country. It was such an important prayer. I played it for you then, and I feel like on this day, the 75th anniversary, obviously, it would be appropriate to hear it again. So when I have that for you before the end of the hour, make sure you listen after I'm done talking to Jim Jordan for that. And then we're also going to have the speech given to, which was also essentially a prayer because he invoked the, 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 the faith that we all have and that they had at the time in God, uh, on the, uh, you know, when, when these, when these men were, were sent on this incredibly important and dangerous mission. But General Eisenhower, who was in charge of the Allied forces, essentially, uh, offered up a prayer, the D-Day speech to soldiers, sailors, and airmen, um, to send them off into battle with uh, with God's good graces and blessings as well. So I'm going to play all of these things for you today. It's a little bit of a history today. I know there's a lot of current events that we're supposed to talk about, and we'll get to them as we can. But yes, I am in the commemorative spirit on this 75th anniversary of D-Day. And this will continue. 76 Empire. All right, 935 as we continue this morning on AM 1420, The Answer, a special uh, commemorative show. For the most part, we're going to talk with American historian Bill Federer at about uh, 10.05 this morning to get a 
a small synopsis, kind of a thumbnail sketch version of his fantastic slideshow that he does and he did for the Ohio Christian Alliance at our Spring Freedom Banquet uh, last month. It was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. 25 minutes of history uh, and the marriage of history and prayer and faith, uh, all in the role that they played in liberating the world uh, from the tyranny and the evil of the Nazi regime. He gave us a slideshow that was unbelievable. He'll do a radio version of that and a shortened version of it at about 10.10 this morning. For now, uh, let's welcome Congressman Jim Jordan, who is the ranking member of the uh, House uh, Judiciary Committee, also the Oversight Committee, and also uh, my congressman in, in Ohio's 4th Congressional District this morning. Uh, congressman, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Bob. Good to be with you. Good to talk to you, as always. And before we talk about the news of the day and matters on Capitol Hill, uh, if I could, uh, Congressman, just ask you for your own um, uh, recollection and your own uh, commemoration of uh, the 75th anniversary of the uh, the D-Day landings, which literally saved this world. Sure did. And, you know, so many Americans and Allied soldiers gave everything. I mean, just gave everything. Um that day for uh, for freedom and as you say to uh to save the to save the world from the from the tyranny of of, of uh nazi germany so um yeah and it's i think uh the president being over there and so many others um uh, on this special day when we remember that uh you know that it's been said so many times but it's so true the greatest generation of these 18 19 year olds some some of them uh were even younger than 18 who 70 some thousand allied soldiers and i think uh Somewhere between nine and nine and fifteen, uh, fourteen, fifteen thousand people gave their life, gave everything for uh, for the cause, and um, God bless them and the, their families. I was listening to um, Leader McCarthy on uh, on TV this morning uh, before our show began, and and he was talking about how. Uh, what, what, what the fallen would say, uh, those who rest beneath the uh, crosses and the stars of David would say to him, uh, on a day like this. And he said what they mm-hmm. would say to him is to go back and get things done. Um, he said, you put aside the differences. We were all united on this day to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the effort to save the world. And what we gave 75 years ago should not be in vain because of the destruction and the division in this country. Now he would yeah. say, go back and tell both sides to get to work together. Do you think there's yeah. any chance of that, uh, Congressman Jordan? Uh, it'll be tough, uh, unfortunately. I think that's right. Um, I think the other thing, and I, I, let, let me just say this too. I think the other thing is, I always ask the question when you think about these these amazing individuals and them giving their life for for uh, for the country. What, deep down, what were the principles that that actually compel an individual to put on the uniform of his nation, this great nation, the greatest nation, and go do that? Um, and you stop. I, Scott O'Grady, I, I share this all the time. When he was shot down over Bosnia and rescued and brought to safety, the press wanted to talk to this guy, a hero, amazing story. And, uh, you know, he had to survive several days out in the wild. When he's brought to safety, he, he basically said three things. He said, first, I want to thank God for this miracle I'm standing here. He said, second, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like sure. this. He said, I was thinking about my family while I was out there, and I knew they were thinking and praying for me, and knowing they were doing that helped motivate me to do what I had to do to make it. He said, I want to thank my family. And then third, he said, I want to thank my fellow servicemen who risked their lives to come save me. They're the heroes. And I thought, this guy has figured it out. Uh, when he referenced God, it was about faith. When he referenced families, about that core institution in our culture, that key unit in our in our society. And then when he referenced the military, he was getting at freedom—the word we always talk about because our military has always stood for freedom. And I 
Those are the values, faith, family, and freedom. And if we can unite around those and focus on doing things together to help the, the, the overall good of the country, that would be great. So I think Mr. McCarthy's right, uh, Leader McCarthy's right, and I think certainly Scott O'Grady was right when he captured those faith, family, freedom, those fundamental principles that compel people to do heroic things. Very well said. We're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's 4th Congressional District Representative. Congressman, to uh, Capitol Hill now. Um, Apparently, the talks did not go as well as the president wanted them to yesterday uh, as far as negotiations with Mexican officials. Uh, and he plans to surge forward as of now with his tariffs, which apparently are dividing not just the the country, but uh, the Republican yeah. Party. There are a number of members of uh, your party who don't agree with uh, slapping tariffs on Mexico in order to get them to do something about uh, the uh, the invasion of our southern uh, over our southern border, uh, where do you stand on that? Do you think the president is right to go forward and impose a five percent tariff, which would then grow as uh, the weeks go by? I think the president understands the facts, understands reality. The fact is, it is a crisis on our border. One hundred thirty-three thousand apprehensions last month alone. That's just apprehensions. That's not people who are getting across that we don't that we don't apprehend. So. It is a crisis. It is an emergency, and unfortunately, everyone in the country sees it. Uh, unfortunately, the only ones who don't are the Democrats in, in Washington, D.C., and the president says, I'm going to deal with this. Second, nobody, no, 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 the president doesn't like tariffs. He said that's the G7. He wants a world with no tariffs. But the president is, using, is willing to use tariffs to accomplish the goal, to get better trade agreements, to get, to get China to quit cheating and doing the crazy things that they're doing, and to deal with the crisis on the border. And I think deep down most Americans appreciate that fact. They appreciate the, the the president understanding the gravity of the situation, um, and let's see let's ha- let's let's see how these negotiations go. I thought it was it, it may not have went as good as we we had hoped yesterday, but I'll tell you what, Mexico got to the table pretty darn quick when the president made the statement a few days ago. They were here negotiating right away, so I think that's a good sign. And um, let's just see how these shake out over the next couple of days. Yeah, not only were they they negotiating uh, uh, right away, according to uh, at least one report that I have, armed Mex- this, as of this morning, armed Mexican troops are blocking migrants at the southern border. And this, this has to be a result. This has to be an order that's been given as yeah. a result of the threat of these tariffs. I mean, uh, they've got pictures right now of, like I said, armed Mexican uh, military personnel uh, stopping people from coming in to, and, and then making that trek up northward. So, you know, it's it, can, it cannot possibly hurt, I don't think, the situation. It can only hurt help because right now it can't get any worse than it is no exactly right and it was it was it was progressively getting worse with each of the last three months right it, it, it increased twenty thousand thirty thousand with each month and so something had to give something had to change and the president said you know what i'm going to get their attention i'm going to get their attention and see if they're going to start doing what they should have been doing all along which is as you point out on their southern border Stopping this flow of migrants from from Honduras and Guatemala up through up through Mexico to our southern border. So that that's a that's a good sign. And and when you have something this, I mean, we talked a few months ago. There was one uh, drug seizure on the border on our southern border with enough fentanyl to kill 57 million Americans. The human trafficking, the gang violence, the drug trafficking, yeah. not to mention just a flood of people. This is an emergency, and something had to change. And the president's willing to, as we all know. And I think this is what so many Americans appreciate about our president. He's willing to take action. 
Congressman, uh, let me pivot to the impeachment brigade, uh, otherwise known as the Democrat Party, and ask you about for some thoughts on this. This is also some potentially good news. Former U.S. Attorney Joe DeGeneva was on uh, television on Tuesday night talking about the walls beginning to close in on the FBI fraudsters. And specifically, uh-huh. he pointed out the fact that Christopher Steele, who was responsible for the phony dossier on President Trump that was used to get those warrants to spy on the Trump campaign, that he has made a strategic decision, apparently, to talk to John Durham. According to Joe DeGeneva, De- De- yeah. he would not be doing yeah, that unless there had been some sort of immunity deal that had been worked out. And if Christopher Steele is getting immunity, that means he's got a lot to offer. Um, what's your feeling on that? No, I think I think this is this is good news. I've, I've hoped all along that, that uh, investigators could talk to both Christopher Steele, the guy who wrote the dossier, and hopefully at some point Glenn Simpson, the guy who was paid by the Clintons, who hired Christopher Steele to put together the dossier as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think this is this is good news. The bottom line here is there is one investigation in my mind that matters more than all the others, and that's the one that Bill Barr and John Durham are doing. Because I, as I think we talked about this last week, Bill Barr raised four important points two months ago when he testified in front of the Senate, and I think we should all focus on this. He said there was a failure of leadership at the upper echelon of the FBI. So true. Comey, McKay, Baker, Struck, Page, and we know, that we, we know what they've done and how wrong it was. Second, he said spying did occur. He said it twice in that hearing. Third, he said there's a basis for my concern about the spying. And remember, this, this goes right to, right to Christopher Steele. And then fourth, he used two terms that are scary, unauthorized surveillance and political surveillance, two terms that should never even be come up in the, in, in, the, in the United States of America. But it looks like that's what took place, surveillance done for a political reason by the FBI based on false uh, intelligence by this, the dossier uh, author uh, Christopher Steele. So this is all good news um, because we want to – we want to get to the bottom of all this so that it never happens again in this great country. Congressman, um, one other thing uh, related to all of this. I, I want to see if I can get your perspective on former uh, Trump lawyer John Dowd, um, who apparently was speaking to an edited voicemail transcript, um, which essentially in his mind he did a very powerful interview also on tv on on hannity and i know you appear on that program from time to time as well um he said this literally makes the Mueller report a fraud and that the edited voicemail transcript is an outrage that cannot be allowed to stand um uh, can you speak to that are you familiar with what uh, john dowd is referring I, I, to? I, I haven't i haven't uh, i haven't looked at that closely yet um I will do that. We can talk about. I'll be happy to talk about it next uh, uh, time. I'm actually what I've been focused on the last couple of days is getting ready for this hearing with that Jerry Nadler announced on uh, okay. next Monday with former Watergate um, figure uh, John Dean coming in to testify. I think it's interesting that you know Mr. Dean's coming in to talk about obstruction of justice uh, and what he thinks happened with uh, in, in you know what the Mueller report says about obstruction of justice. And John Dean went to prison in 1974 for obstruction of justice so this is sort of a seems like almost like a pattern that democrats have um so i've been focusing on that and what what i think i'm going to what i think needs to be asked of him so i will look at mr dowd and see what what he had to say yeah I heard it, briefly it, about Devin, this yesterday your colleague Devin nunez uh, talked about this too also decried fraud here and said that the full voicemail transcript was edited in the Mueller report alan dershowitz spoke to this too and said the distortion of the doubt quote is very serious and cast outs on a lot of what's in the Mueller report so it's just one of those it's <laughs> another i feel like every day we, we find out more duplicity more chicanery yeah. more you know more but of this think, witch hunt and, and this 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 horrific thing that the president has been forced to endure i'm sorry think continue. of the irony though think of the irony you got Bob Mueller saying, uh, Bill Barr's letter didn't accurately capture the sentiment and tone of our report. 
And uh, even though Bill Barr said, you can read my letter and, 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 and give me your thoughts, Bob Mueller, before I send it out, back before he released the full report, uh, before Bill Barr released the full report, and, and Mueller chose not to, not to look at the letter. But, but Mueller can say, you didn't accurately, and now here we find out, oh, they edited, they didn't, they didn't provide context to Mr. Dow's comments. That's right. interesting. That's interesting. It is indeed. And, uh, and and last thing before you run here, Adam Schiff is screaming uh, on Twitter a couple of days. I guess it was Tuesday. He said, we will hear from Bob Mueller. And I responded to him, not that he cares about me, but I responded, you already did 448 pages worth and nine and a half minutes of a press conference worth. What more do you need to hear from the guy? Do you think they will be able to compel him to testify as well? I don't know if they want to. And it certainly is obvious that Bob Mueller doesn't want to. You know, it was, it was funny. I, I thought at, at the, at the nine-minute, nine 39-second press conference, Bob Mueller said the report speaks for itself. Well, if the report speaks for itself, why'd you have to do a nine-minute, 39-second <laughs> press conference Well, you said you stop? So, come on. And, and now they're, 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 they're pounding their chest like cars and saying, we're going to get Bob Mueller in here. Well, you've had a couple months. and I mean, okay. And, and I've, I've said all along. If he comes, I'll ask questions for him. I got, I got lots of questions for him. Would you like to question him? But if he him? doesn't, if he comes, would you like to here's the, here's the, here's the, just end now and let the report speak for itself. Well, look, I, I, I always like to ask people questions when I think, uh, when I, when I think there's this important information that the American people deserve to hear. But I think the fundamental question all Americans have, not just Jim Jordan or, or, uh, or, or anyone else, I think the question is, when did you first learn there was no collusion? And, and if you learned that early on, why in the heck didn't you tell us? Because here's what I know. When we, when we deposed Jim Comey, he told us after 10 months of the FBI looking at the Trump-Russia, the idea that there, there may have been some collusion or coordination between Trump and, and, and Russia to influence the election, after 10 months from July 2016 to the day Comey was fired, May 9, 2017, they had zero evidence, zero evidence of any type of collusion. So if the FBI can't find anything in 10 months, how long does it take Bob Mueller to find out, particularly when he had 19 other lawyers, who most of them were Democrats who were out to get the president. When did you know there was no collusion? So that, that's, a, that's just a fundamental question the whole country is entitled to know, because if you knew that early on, and you waited till after a midterm election, and you waited all this time to try to figure out if you could, if you could go after him on obstruction of justice, well, come on. That, your central charge was, was there any type of coordination between Trump and the campaign in Russia? So that, to me, is the fundamental question that at least needs to be probed if he does, in fact, come. I would love to actually hear you ask him that and then and see what he has to say. Because I'm not qualified to speak for him, but I'm going to speak for him anyway. The reason why is because he was not given a job to investigate. He was given a job to prosecute. And and, and so after 10 months, he didn't have anything yet, yet that was worthy of prosecution. So he was going to keep digging and keep digging and not say a word about it. His order was not to find out whether or not the Trump campaign collaborated or con- or conspired or colluded with Russia. It was to prove that he did. And if he couldn't do it in 10 yeah. months, he was going to take as long as he could to do it eventually of course all of the trails ran cold and he was forced to admit okay i have nothing and bob you make a great point there if they could have established obstruction of justice this whole debate we're having here now in the last couple weeks if they could have if bob Mueller and his 19 democrat lawyers if they could have established obstruction of justice they'd have done it they would have forget this idea that you can't indict a sitting president if they could have established obstruction of justice they would have said so they couldn't and so they didn't say it 
that's uh, that's one of the things that frustrated me the most about the nine minute plus press conference or, or reading yeah. a statement. He made very clear that if we could have found something that cleared the president, we would have said so. And that is so yeah. backwards. It is so antithetical to the yeah. to the criminal justice system. That's not how this works. It's if we could have found something to prove his guilt, we would have said so. And since we didn't, then we now proclaim his innocence. That's how it's supposed right. to work. But that's not right. what their goal was. Yeah, Congressman Jordan, I thank you, you so much. You can't have it both uh, ways. Well said. Well said. No, you're right. They can't, and that's exactly what they've been trying to do. Congressman, thank you so much. I really appreciate you it, bet. as well as your thoughts on Thanks this 75th anniversary of D-Day, sir. Keep up your good work. We'll talk again soon. That's Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 9.51. We'll take a time out now and come right back on the Bob France Authority. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's tools at BibleStudyTools.com. All right, uh, 9.56 as we continue the Bob France Authority. And a reminder once again for you of the importance of our, of our appeal now for the Alliance Defending Freedom. I talk to you all the time, and I can't talk to you seriously long enough about the battles that Alliance Defending Freedom are fighting for you, for me, for their clients, and they're doing it free of charge. I'm going to tell you a little story here. Actually, I'm going to play a little story for you about another example of what Alliance Defending Freedom does. Every week during the harvest season for the past seven years, Country Mill has taken part in the farmer's market in the nearby city of East Lansing, Michigan. One of the ways Steve and Bridget reach out to the communities they serve is through their Facebook page. Last year, a question came up on Country Mill's Facebook page asking Country Mill about a religious belief that they held. In response, Steve expressed his belief in biblical marriage. Then, in January, East Lansing did not invite Country Mill to come back to the East Lansing Farmer's Market. So Country Mill went ahead and filed an application with the market. And they immediately got a letter back saying that they were prohibited from coming to the market for this year. We were surprised because for over seven years, we've been serving all the customers with no complaints, no issues, no protests. Alliance Defending Freedom is representing Country Mill Farm to protect their First Amendment freedoms and ensure that the government can't single out people of faith for discrimination simply because of what they say or think. That is the nature of our of our Constitution. It is the most sacrosanct part of the Bill of Rights, our freedom of speech, our freedom of religion, to the point where we cannot be forced to say and do things, and we cannot be punished for saying and doing things that are a part of our faith. My friends, Alliance Defending Freedom is doing this work for us. We need to help take care of them. These court battles aren't free. While they provide free services to the clients, they have to have the costs met in order to fight these battles, and we are dedicated to helping them. Yesterday I told you we needed 41 more volunteers to step up with $100 donations. We are now down to 38. More people stepped up yesterday. Will you be someone to help us today? We have a goal of $4,500 from AM 1420, The Answer, to Alliance Defending Freedom as a larger part of the process uh, of Salem Communications, Salem Broadcast Media, trying to help these wonderful uh, attorneys working for the ministry of Alliance Defending Freedom on behalf of all of us. 
I need your help. I need you to step up. If you can give the gift of $100, please do so. If you are a person of means, and if you can give a little bit more than that, please do so. We need 38 people to step up with at least $100 each to help take care of this extraordinarily important organization that is fighting for all of us. Call this phone number if you can donate. 1-800-691-8969. Write it down, save it. 800-691-8969. If it's easier for you, if you've got a keyboard in front of you, go to whkradio.com, click on the Alliance Defending Freedom banner at the top of the page. Then it'll take you right to a donation page. If you can donate $100, please do it. If you can donate two or $300, please do that. If you can't, but you can donate 25 or $50, please do what you can, because Alliance Defending Freedom is working for all of us. Our D-Day 75th anniversary commemoration program will continue after the top of the hour news. American historian and D-Day expert Bill Federer will join us next right here on 